Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road, and our ongoing story, The House of a Thousand Candles, by author Meredith Nicholson. We begin this evening with Chapter 14, The Girl in Grey. My first thought was to find the crypt door and return through the tunnel before Bates reached the house. The chapel was open, and by lighting matches I found my way to the map and panel. I slipped through and closed the opening, then ran through the passage with gratitude for the generous builder who had given it a clear floor and an ample roof. In my haste I miscalculated its length and pitched into the steps under the trap at a speed that sent me sprawling. In a moment more I had jammed the trap into place and was running up the cellar steps, breathless, with my cap smashed down over my eyes. I heard Bates at the rear of the house, and I knew I had won the race by a scratch. There was but a moment in which to throw my coat and cap under the divan, slap the dust from my clothes, and seat myself at the great table, where the candles blazed tranquilly. Bates's step was as steady as ever. There was not the slightest hint of excitement in it, as he came and stood within the door. "'Beg pardon, Mr. Glenarm. Did you wish anything, sir?' "'Oh, no, thank you, Bates.' "'I had stepped down to the village, sir, to speak to the grocer. "'The eggs he sent this morning were not quite up to the mark. "'I have warned him not to send any of the storage article to this house.' "'That's right, Bates.' "'I folded my arms to hide my hands, "'which were black from contact with the passage, "'and faced my manservant. "'My respect for his rascally powers "'had increased immensely since he gave me my coffee. "'A contest with so clever a rogue was worthwhile.' "'I'm grateful for your good care of me, Bates. "'I had expected to perish of discomfort out here. "'But you are treating me like a lord.' "'Thank you, Mr. Glenarm. "'I do what I can, sir.' "'He brought fresh candles for the table candelabra, "'going about with his accustomed noiseless step. "'I felt a cold chill creep down my spine "'as he passed behind me on these errands. "'His transition from the role of conspirator "'to that of my flawless servant "'was almost too abrupt.' I dismissed him as quickly as possible, and listened to his step through the halls as he went about locking the doors. This was a regular incident, but I was aware tonight that he exercised what seemed to me a particular care in settling the bolts. The locking up process had rather bored me before. Tonight, the snapping of bolts was particularly trying. When I heard Bates climbing to his own quarters, I quietly went the rounds on my own account, and found everything as tight as a drum. In the cellar I took occasion to roll some barrels of cement into the end of the corridor to cover and block the trap door. Bates had no manner of business in that part of the house, as the heating apparatus was under the kitchen and accessible by an independent stairway. I had no immediate use for the hidden passage to the chapel, and I did not intend that my enemies should avail themselves of it. Morgan, at least, knew of it, and, while he was not likely to trouble me at once, I had resolved to guard every point in our pleasant game. I was tired enough to sleep when I went to my room, and after an eventless night, woke to a clear day and a keener air. "'I'm going to take a little run into the village, Bates,' I remarked at breakfast. "'Very good, sir. The weather's quite cleared. "'If anyone should call, I'll be back in an hour or so.' "'Yes, sir.' He turned his impenetrable face toward me as I rose. There was, of course, no chance whatever that anyone would call to see me. The Reverend Paul Stoddard was the only human being, except Bates, 
Morgan, and the man who brought up my baggage, who had crossed the threshold since my arrival. I really had an errand in the village. I wished to visit the hardware store and buy some cartridges, but Pickering's presence in the community was a disturbing factor in my mind. I wished to get sight of him, to meet him if possible, and see how a man, whose schemes were so deep, looked in the light of day. As I left the grounds and gained the highway, Stoddard fell in with me. "'Well, Mr. Glenarm, I'm glad to see you abroad so early. "'With that library of yours, the temptation must be strong to stay within doors. "'But a man's got to subject himself to the sun and wind. "'I try to get out every day,' I answered. "'But I've chiefly limited myself to the grounds.' "'Well, it's a fine estate. "'The lake is altogether charming in summer. "'I quite envy you your fortune.' "'He walked with a long, swinging stride.' "'his hands thrust deep into his overcoat pockets. "'It was difficult to accept the idea of so much physical strength "'being wasted in the mere business of saying prayers in a girl's school. "'Here was a fellow who should have been captain of a ship or soldier, "'a leader of forlorn hopes. "'I felt sure there must be a weakness of some sort in him. "'Quite possibly it would prove to be a mild aestheticism "'that delighted in the savor of incense "'and the mournful cadence of choral vespers.' He declined a cigar, and this rather increased my suspicions. He declined a cigar, and this rather increased my suspicions. The village hack, filled with young women, passed at a gallop, bound for the station, and we took off our hats. "'Christmas holidays,' explained the chaplain. "'Practically all the students go home.' "'Lucky kids to have Christmas to go home to,' I said." "'I suppose Mr. Pickering got away last night?' he observed, and my pulse quickened at the name. "'I haven't seen him yet,' I answered, guardedly. "'Oh, then of course he hasn't gone.' And these words, uttered in the big clergyman's deep tones, seemed wholly plausible. There was, to be sure, nothing so unlikely as that Arthur Pickering, executor of my grandfather's estate, would come to Glenarm without seeing me. "'Sister Teresa told me this morning he was here. "'He called on her and Miss Deborah last night. "'I haven't seen him myself. "'I thought possibly I might run into him in the village. "'His car is very likely on the station switch.' "'No doubt we'll find him there,' I answered easily. "'The Annandale station presented an appearance of unusual gaiety "'when we reached the main street of the village. "'There, to be sure, lay a private car on the siding, "'and on the platform was a group of twenty or more girls.' "'with several of the brown-habited sisters of St. Agatha. "'There was something a little foreign in the picture, "'the girls in their bright colors talking gaily, "'the sisters in their somber garb hovering about, "'suggesting France or Italy rather than Indiana. "'I came here with the idea that St. Agatha's was a charity school,' "'I remarked to the chaplain. "'Not a bit of it. "'Sister Teresa is really a swell, you know, "'and her school is hard to get into.' "'I'm glad you warned me in time,' I said. "'I had thought of sending over a sack of flour occasionally, "'or a few bolts of calico to help on the good work. "'You just saved my life.' "'I probably have. "'I might mention your good intentions to Sister Teresa.' "'No, pray don't. "'If there's any danger of meeting her on that platform.' "'No, she isn't coming down, I'm sure. "'But you ought to know her, if you will pardon me. "'And Miss Deborah is charming. "'But really,' "'I don't mean to be annoying. "'Not in the least. "'But under the circumstances, "'the will and my probationary year, "'you can understand. 
"'Certainly. A man's affairs are his own, Mr. Glenarm.' "'We stepped upon the platform. "'The private car was on the opposite side of the station "'and had been switched into a siding of the east and west road. "'Pickering was certainly getting on. "'The private car, even more than the yacht, "'is the symbol of plutocracy, "'and gaping rustics were evidently impressed by its grandeur. "'As I lounged across the platform with Stoddard, "'Pickering came out into the vestibule of his car, "'followed by two ladies and an elderly gentleman.' "'they all descended and began a promenade of the plank walk. "'Pickering saw me an instant later "'and came up hurriedly with outstretched hand. "'Well, this is indeed good fortune. "'We dropped off here last night rather unexpectedly "'to rest a hot box "'and should have been picked up by the Midnight Express for Chicago. "'But there was a miscarriage of orders somewhere, "'and we now have to wait for the nine o'clock, and it's late. "'If I'd known how much behind I was, "'I should have run out to see you.' "'How are things going?' "'As smooth as a whistle, Pickering. "'It really isn't so bad when you face it. "'And the fact is, I'm actually at work.' "'Well, that's splendid. "'The year will go fast enough, never fear. "'I suppose you pine for a little human society now and then. "'A man can never strike the right medium in such things. "'In New York we are all rushed to death. "'I sometimes feel that I'd like a little rustication myself. "'I get nervous.' "'and working for corporations is wearing. "'The old gentleman there is Taylor, "'president of the Interstate and Western. "'The ladies are his wife and her sister. "'I'd like to introduce you.' "'He ran his eyes over my corduroys and leggings amiably. "'He had not in years addressed me so pleasantly. "'Stoddard had left me to go to the other end of the platform "'to speak to some of the students. "'I followed Pickering rather loathly "'to where the companions of his travels "'were pacing to and fro in the crisp morning air.' I laugh still whenever I remember that morning at Annandale Station. As soon as Pickering had got me well under way in conversation with Taylor, he excused himself hurriedly and went off, as I assumed, to be sure the station agent had received orders for attaching the private car to the Chicago Express. Taylor proved to be a supercilious person. I believe they call him Chilly Billy at the Metropolitan Club, and our efforts to converse were pathetically unfruitful. He asked me the value of land in my county, and as my ignorance on this subject was vast and illimitable, I could see that he was forming a low opinion of my character and intelligence. The two ladies stood by making no concealment of their impatience. Their eyes were upon the girls from St. Agatha's on the other platform, whom they could see beyond me. I had jumped the conversation from Indiana farmlands to the recent disorders in Bulgaria, which interested me more, "'when Mrs. Taylor spoke abruptly to her sister. "'That's, that's her, that's she, that's she, "'the one in the gray coat, talking to the clergyman. "'She came a moment ago in a carriage. "'The one with the umbrella? "'I thought you said, I thought you said.' "'Mrs. Taylor glanced at her sister warningly, "'and they both looked at me. "'Then they sought to detach themselves and moved away. "'There was someone on the farther side of the platform "'who they wished to see, and Taylor... "'not understanding their maneuver. "'He was really anxious, I think, "'not to be left alone with me, "'started down the platform after them, "'I following. "'Mrs. Taylor and her sister "'walked to the end of the platform "'and looked across, "'a biscuit toss away, "'to where Stoddard stood talking to the girl "'I had already heard described "'as wearing a gray coat "'and carrying an umbrella. "'The girl in gray crossed the track quickly "'and addressed the two women cordially. 
Taylor's back was to her, and he was growing eloquent in a mild, well-bred way over the dullness of our statesmen in not seeing the advantages that would accrue to the United States in fostering our shipping industry. His wife, her sister, and the girl in gray were so near that I could hear plainly what they were saying. They were referring apparently to the girl's refusal of an invitation to accompany them to California. "'So you can't go? It's too bad.' "'We had hoped that when you really saw us on the way, you would relent,' said Mrs. Taylor. "'But there are many reasons, and above all, Sister Teresa needs me.' It was the voice of Olivia, a little lower, a little more restrained than I had known it. "'But think of the rose gardens that are waiting for us out there,' said the other lady. They were showing her the deference that elderly women always have for pretty girls. "'Alas, and again alas!' exclaimed Olivia. Please don't make it harder for me than necessary. But I gave my promise a year ago to spend these holidays in Cincinnati. She ignored me wholly, and after shaking hands with the ladies, returned to the other platform. I wondered whether she was overlooking Taylor on purpose to cut me. Taylor was still at his lecture on the needs of our American merchant marine when Pickering passed hurriedly, crossed the track, and began speaking earnestly to the girl in gray. "'The American flag should command the seas. "'What we need is not more battleships, but more freight carriers,' Taylor was saying. "'But I was watching Olivia Gladys Armstrong. "'In a long skirt, with her hair caught up under a gray toque "'that matched her coat perfectly, "'she was not my Olivia of the Tam O'Shanter, who had pursued the rabbit, "'nor yet the unsophisticated schoolgirl who had suffered my idiotic babble, "'nor again the dreamy-wrapped organist of the chapel.' She was a grown woman with at least twenty summers to her credit, and there was about her an air of knowing the world, and of not being at all a person one would make foolish speeches to. She spoke to Pickering gravely. Once she smiled dolefully and shook her head, and I vaguely strove to remember where I had seen that look in her eyes before. Her gold beads, which I had once carried in my pocket, were clasped tight about the close collar of her dress, and I was glad, very glad, "'that I had ever touched anything that belonged to her. "'As the years go by, we're going to dominate trade more and more. "'Our manufacturers already lead the world, "'and what we make we've got to sell, haven't we?' demanded Taylor. Uh, "'Certainly, sir,' I answered warmly. "'Who was Olivia Gladys Armstrong, "'and what was Arthur Pickering's business with her?' And what was it she said to me that evening when I found her playing on the chapel organ? So much happened that day I had almost forgotten, and indeed, I had tried to forget I had made a fool of myself for the edification of an amusing little schoolgirl. I see you prefer to ignore it the first time I ever saw you, she had said, but if I had thought of this at all it had been with righteous self-contempt. Or I may have flattered my vanity with the reflection that she had eyed me, her hero, perhaps, with wistful admiration across the wall. I had it so wrong. Meanwhile, the Chicago Express roared into Annandale, and the private car was attached. Taylor watched the train men with a cool interest of a man for whom the proceeding had no novelty, while he continued to dilate upon the nation's commercial opportunities. I turned perforce and walked with him back toward the station, where Mrs. Taylor and her sister were talking to the conductor. Pickering came running across the platform with several telegrams in his hand. The express had picked up the car and was ready to continue its westward journey. 
"'I'm awfully sorry, Glenarm, that I stopped so short.' "'And Pickering's face wore a worried look as he addressed me, "'his eyes on the conductor. "'How far do you go?' I asked. "'California. We have interests out there, "'and I have to attend some stockholders' meetings in Colorado in January.' "'Ah, you businessmen! You businessmen!' I said, reproachfully. "'I wished to call him a blackguard then and there, "'and it was on my tongue to do so.' but I concluded that to wait until he had shown his hand fully was the better game. The ladies entered the car, and I shook hands with Taylor, who threatened to send me his pamphlet on The Needs of American Shipping when he got back to New York. "'It's too bad she wouldn't go with us. Poor girl! This must be a dreary hole for her. She deserves wider horizons,' he said to Pickering, who helped him upon the platform of the car with what seemed to be unnecessary precipitation. "'You little know us,' I declared, for Pickering's benefit. "'Life at Annandale is nothing if not exciting. "'The people here are indifferent marksmen, "'or there'd be murders galore.' Uh, Mr. "'Mr. Glenarm is a good deal of a wag,' "'explained Pickering dryly, "'swinging himself aboard as the train started. "'Yes, it's my humor that keeps me alive,' "'I responded, and taking off my hat, "'I saluted Arthur Pickering with my broadest shalom.' We'll return to Chapter 15, right after this sponsor message. And now, Chapter 15, I Make an Engagement. The southbound train had not arrived, and as I turned away, the station agent again changed its time on the bulletin board. It was now due in ten minutes. A few students had boarded the Chicago train, but a greater number still waited on the farther platform. The girl in gray was surrounded by half a dozen students, "'all talking animatedly. "'As I walked toward them, "'I could not justify my stupidity "'in mistaking a grown woman "'for a schoolgirl of fifteen or sixteen. "'But it was the tam-o'-shanter, "'the short skirt, "'the youthful joy in the outdoor world "'that had disguised her "'as effectually as Rosalind "'to the eyes of Orlando "'in the Forest of Arden. "'She was probably a teacher, "'quite likely the teacher of music,' "'I argued, "'who had amused herself at my expense.' It had seemed the easiest thing in the world to approach her with an apology or a farewell. But those few inches added to her skirt, and that pretty great toque substituted for the tam-o'-shanter, set up a barrier that did not yield at all as I drew nearer. At the last moment, as I crossed the track and stepped upon the other platform, it occurred to me that while I might have some claim upon the attention of Olivia Gladys Armstrong, a wayward schoolgirl of athletic tastes, I had none whatever upon a person whom it was proper to address as Miss Armstrong, who was, I felt sure, quite capable of snubbing me if snubbing fell in with her mood. She glanced toward me and bowed instantly. Her young companions withdrew to a conservative distance, and I will say this for the St. Agatha girls, their manners are beyond criticism, and an affable discretion is one of their most admirable traits. I didn't know they ever grew up so fast. "'in a day and a night. "'I was glad I remembered the number of beads in her chain. "'The item seemed at once to become important. "'It's the air, I suppose. "'It's praised by excellent critics, "'as you may learn from the catalogue. "'But you are going to an ampler ether, "'a diviner air. "'You have attained the beatific state "'and at once taken plight. "'If they confer perfection like an academic degree "'at St. Agatha's, then... I had never felt so stupidly helpless in my life. There were a thousand things I wished to say to her, 
There were countless questions I wished to ask, but her calmness and poise were disconcerting. She had not, apparently, the slightest curiosity about me, and there was no reason why she should have. I knew that well enough. Her eyes met mine easily. Their azure depths puzzled me. She was almost, but not quite, someone I had seen before, and it was not my woodland Olivia. Her eyes, the soft curve of her cheek, the light in her hair, but the memory of another time, another place, another girl, lured only to baffle me. She laughed, a little murmuring laugh. I'll never tell if you won't, she said. But I don't see how that helps me with you. It certainly does not. That is a much more serious matter, Mr. Glenarm. And the worst of it is that I haven't a single thing to say for myself. It wasn't the not knowing that was so utterly stupid. Certainly not. It was talking that ridiculous twaddle. It was trying to flirt with a silly schoolgirl. What will do for fifteen is somewhat vacuous for... She paused abruptly, colored, and laughed. I am twenty-seven. And I am just the usual age, she said. Ages don't count, but time is important. There are many things I wish you'd tell me. "'you who hold the key to the gate of mystery. "'Then you'll have to pick the lock.' "'She laughed lightly. "'The somber sisters patrolling the platform with their charges heeded us little. "'I had no idea you knew Arthur Pickering, "'when you were just Olivia in the Tam O'Shanter. "'Maybe you think he wouldn't have cared for my acquaintance "'as Olivia in the Tam O'Shanter? "'Men are very strange. "'But Arthur Pickering is an old friend of mine. "'So he told me. "'We were neighbors in our youth. "'I believe I've heard him mention it. "'And we did our prep school together, "'and then parted. "'You tell exactly the same story, "'so it must be true. "'He went to college, and you went to tech. "'And you knew him?' "'I began, my curiosity thoroughly aroused. "'Not at college, any more than I knew you at tech. "'The train's coming,' I said earnestly. "'and I wish you would tell me. "'When can I see you again? "'Before we part forever?' "'There was a mischievous hint "'of the Olivia in short skirts in her tone. "'Please don't suggest that. "'Our times have been strange and few. "'There was that first night "'when you called to me from the lake. "'How impertinent! "'How dare you remember that! "'And there was that other encounter "'at the chapel porch. "'Neither you nor I had the slightest business there.' I admit my own culpability. She colored again. But you spoke as though you understood what you must have heard there. It's important for me to know. I have a right to know just what you meant by that warning. Real distress showed in her face for an instant. The agent and his helpers rushed the last baggage down the platform, and the rails hummed their warning of the approaching train. I was eavesdropping on my own account, she said hurriedly, and with a note of finality. I was there by intention, and... There was another hint of the Tam O'Shanter in the mirth that seemed to bubble for a moment in her throat. It's too bad you didn't see me, for I had on my prettiest gown, and the fog wasn't good for it. But you know as much of what was said there as I do. You are a man, and I've heard that you have some experience in taking care of yourself, Mr. Glenarm. To be sure. But there are times... Yes, there are times when the odds seem rather heavy. I have noticed that myself. She smiled, 
but for an instant the sad look came into her eyes, a look that vaguely but insistently suggested another time and place. "'I want you to come back,' I said, boldly, for the train was very near, and I felt that the eyes of the sisters were upon us. "'You cannot go away where I shall not find you.' I did not know who this girl was, her home, or her relation to the school, but I knew that her life and mine had touched strangely, that her eyes were blue, and that her voice had called to me twice through the dark, in mockery once, and in warning another time, and that the sense of having known her before, of having looked into her eyes, haunted me. The youth in her was so luring. She was at once so frank and so guarded. Breeding and the taste of training of an ampler world than that of Annandale were so evidenced in the witchery of her voice, in the grace and ease that marked her every motion, in the soft gray tone of hat, dress, and gloves, that a new mood, a new hope and faith sang in my pulses. There, on that platform, I felt again the sweet heartache I had known as a boy, when spring first warmed the Vermont hillsides, and the mountains sent the last snows singing in joy of their release down through the brook beds and into the wakened heart of youth. She met my eyes steadily. If I thought there was the slightest chance of my ever seeing you again, I shouldn't be talking to you here. But I thought, I thought it would be good fun to see how you really talk to a grown-up. So I am risking the displeasure of these good sisters just to test your conversational powers, Mr. Glenarm. You see how perfectly frank I am? I don't intend to sit down in this hole and dream about you. You can't go anywhere, but I shall follow and find you. That is finely spoken, Squire Glenarm. "'but I imagine you are hardly likely "'to go far from Glenarm very soon. "'It isn't, of course, any of my affair, "'and yet I don't hesitate to say "'that I feel perfectly safe from pursuit.' "'And she laughed her low little laugh "'that was delicious in its mockery. "'I felt the blood mounting to my cheek. "'She knew, then, that I was virtually a prisoner at Glenarm, "'and for once in my life, at least, I was ashamed of my folly that had caused my grandfather to hold and check me from the grave, as he had never been able to control me in his life. The whole countryside knew why I was at Glenarm, and that did not matter. But my heart rebelled at the thoughts that this girl knew and mocked me with her knowledge. "'I shall see you Christmas Eve,' I said, "'wherever you may be.' "'In three days? "'Then you will come to my Christmas Eve party. "'I shall be delighted to see you.' and flattered. Just think of throwing away a fortune to satisfy one's curiosity. I'm surprised at you, but gratified on the whole, Mr. Glenarm. I shall give more than a fortune. I shall give the honor I have pledged to my grandfather's memory to hear your voice again. That is a great deal for so small a voice. But money? Fortune? A man will risk his honor readily enough, but his fortune is a more serious matter. I'm sorry we shall not meet again. It would be pleasant to discuss the subject further. It interests me particularly. In three days I shall see you, I said. She was instantly grave. No, please do not try. It would be a great mistake. And anyhow, you can hardly come to my party without being invited. That matter is closed. Wherever you are on Christmas Eve, I shall find you, I said and felt my heart leap, knowing that I meant what I said. "'Good-bye,' she said, turning away. "'I'm sorry I shan't ever chase rabbits at Glenarm again. "'Or paddle a canoe, 
or play wonderful celestial music on the organ, or be an eavesdropper, or hear pleasant words from the master of Glenarm. But I don't know where you're going. You haven't told me anything. You are slipping out into the world. She did not hear, or would not answer. She turned away, and was at once surrounded by a laughing throng that crowded about the train. Two brown-robed sisters stood like sentinels, one at either side as she stepped into the car. I was conscious of a feeling that from the depths of their hoods they regarded me with unchristian disdain. Through the windows I could see the students fluttering to seats, and the girl in gray seemed to be marshalling them. The gray hat appeared at a window for an instant, and a smiling face gladdened, I am sure, the guardians of the peace at St. Agatha's, for whom it was intended. The last trunk crashed into the baggage car, every window framed for a moment a girl's face, and the train was gone. Chapter 16 The Passing of Olivia Bates brought a great log and rolled it upon exactly the right spot on the andirons, and a great constellation of sparks thronged up the chimney. The old relic of a house. I called the establishment by many names, but this was, I think, my favorite, could be heated in all its habitable parts, as Beta demonstrated. The halls were of glacial temperature these cold days, but my room above, the dining room, and the great library were comfortable enough. I threw down a book and knocked the ashes from my pipe. Bates? Yes, sir. I think my spiritual welfare is in jeopardy. I need counsel, a spiritual advisor. I'm afraid that's beyond me, sir. I'd like to invite Mr. Stoddard to dinner so I may discuss my soul's health with him at leisure. Certainly, Mr. Glenarm. But it occurs to me that probably the terms of Mr. Glenarm's will point to my complete sequestration here. In other words, I may forfeit my rights by asking a guest to dinner. He pondered the matter for a moment, then replied, I should think, sir, as you ask my opinion, that in the case of a gentleman in holy orders there would be no impropriety. Mr. Stoddard is a fine gentleman. I heard your late grandfather speak of him very highly. That, I imagine, is hardly conclusive in the matter. There is the executor. To be sure, I hadn't considered him. Well, you'd better consider him. He's the court of last resort, isn't he? Well, of course. That's one way of looking at it, sir. I suppose there's no chance Mr. Pickering's dropping in on us now and then? He gazed at me steadily, unblinkingly, and with entire respect. "'He is a good deal of a traveller, Mr. Pickering is. He passed through only this morning, so the mailboy told me. You may have met him at the station.' "'Ah, yes, to be sure. So I did,' I replied. I was not as good a liar as Bates, and there was nothing to be gained by denying that I had met the executor in the village. I had a very pleasant talk with him. He was on the way to California with several friends. "'That is quite his way, I understand. Private cars and long journeys about the country. A very successful man is Mr. Pickering. Your grandfather had great confidence in him, did Mr. Glenarm?' "'Ah, yes. A fine judge of character, my grandfather was. I guess John Marshall Glenarm could spot a rascal about as far as any man in his day.' I felt like letting myself go before this masked scoundrel. The density of his mask was an increasing wonder to me. Bates was the most incomprehensible human being I had ever known. 
I had been torn with a thousand conflicting emotions since I overheard him discussing the state of affairs at Glenarm House with Pickering in the chapel porch, and Pickering's acquaintance with the girl in grey brought new elements into the affair that added to my uneasiness. But here was a treasonable dog on whom the stress of conspiracy had no outward effect whatever. It was an amazing situation, but it called for calmness and eternal vigilance. With every hour my resolution grew to stand fast and fight it out on my own account without outside help. A thousand times during the afternoon I had heard the voice of the girl in grey saying to me, "'You are a man, and I've heard that you have had some experience in taking care of yourself, Mr. Glenarm.' It was both a warning and a challenge, and the memory of the words was at once sobering and cheering. Bates waited. Of him, certainly, I should ask no questions touching Olivia Armstrong. To discuss her with a blackguard servant, even to gain answers to baffling questions about her, was not to my liking. And thank God I taught myself one thing. If nothing more, in those days at Glenarm House, I learned to bide my time. I'll give you a note to Mr. Stoddard in the morning. You may go now. Yes, sir. The note was written and dispatched. The chaplain was not at his lodgings, and Bates reported that he had left the message. The answer came presently by the hand of the Scotch gardener, Ferguson, a short, wiry, raw-boned specimen. I happened to open the door myself and brought him into the library until I could read Stoddard's reply. Ferguson had, I thought, an uneasy eye, and his hair, of an ugly carrot color, annoyed me. Mr. Paul Stoddard presented his compliments and would be delighted to dine with me. He wrote in a large, even hand, as frank and open as himself. "'That's all, Ferguson.' And the gardener took himself off. Thus it came about that Stoddard and I faced each other across the table in the refectory that same evening under the lights of a great candelabrum which Bates had produced from the storeroom below. And I may say here that while there was a slight hitch sometimes in the delivery of supplies from the village, while the fish which Bates caused to be shipped from Chicago for delivery every Friday morning failed once or twice, and while the grapefruit for breakfast was not always what it should have been, the supply of candles seemed inexhaustible. They were produced in every shade and size. There were enormous ones, such as I'd never seen outside of a Russian church, and one of the rooms in the cellar was filled with boxes of them. The house of a thousand candles deserved and proved its name. Bates had certainly risen to the occasion. Silver and crystal of which I had not known before glistened on the table, and on the sideboard two huge candelabra added to the festival air of the little room. Stoddard laughed as he glanced about. "'Here I've been feeling sorry for you, and yet you're living like a prince. I didn't know there was so much splendor in all of Wabana County.' "'I'm a trifle dazzled myself,' I said. "'Bates has tapped a new cellar somewhere. I'm afraid I'm not a good housekeeper, to speak truthfully. There are times when I hate the house, when it seems wholly ridiculous.' "'the whim of an eccentric old man. "'And then again I'm actually afraid "'that I like its seclusion. "'Well, your seclusion's better than mine. "'You know my little two-room affair "'behind the chapel, "'only a few books and a punching bag. "'That chapel also was one of your grandfather's whims. "'He provided that all the offices of the church "'must be said there daily, "'or the endowment is stopped. "'Mr. Glenarm lived in the past, "'or liked to think he did. "'I suppose you know.' "'Or maybe you don't know. 
"'how I came to have this appointment.' "'No, indeed, I should like to know.' "'We had reached the soup, "'and Bates was changing our plates "'with his accustomed light hand. "'Well, it was my name that did the business, Paul. "'A bishop had recommended a man "'whose given name was Ethelbert. "'A decent enough name, "'and one that you might imagine "'would appeal to Mr. Glenarm. "'But he rejected him "'because the name might be "'too easily cut down to Ethel, "'a name which he said "'was very distasteful to him.' "'That is characteristic. "'The dear old gentleman,' I exclaimed, with real feeling. "'But he reckoned without his host,' Stoddard continued. "'The young ladies, I have lately learned, call me Pauline, "'as a mark of regard, or otherwise, probably otherwise. "'I give two lectures a week on church history, "'and I fear my course isn't popular. "'But it is something, on the other hand, "'to be in touch with such an institution. "'They are a very sightly company, those girls.' I enjoy watching them across the garden wall, and I had a closer view of them at the station this morning, when you ran off and deserted me. He laughed, but his big, wholesome, cheering laugh. I take good care not to see much of them socially. Are you afraid of the eternal feminine? Yeah, I suppose I am. I'm preparing to go into a brotherhood, as you probably don't know, and girls are distracting. I didn't know, I said. "'Yes, I'm spending a year in studies "'that I may never have a chance for hereafter. "'I'm going into an order whose members work hard.' "'He spoke as though he were planning a summer outing. "'I had not sat at meet with a clergyman "'since the death of my parents broke up our old home in Vermont, "'and my attitude toward the cloth was, I fear, "'one of antagonism dating from those days. "'Well, I saw Pickering after all,' I remarked. "'Yes, I saw him too. "'Was it in his case?' "'Genius or good luck?' "'I'm not a competent witness,' I answered. "'I'll be frank with you. "'I don't like him, and I don't believe in him.' "'Oh, I beg your pardon. "'I didn't know, of course.' "'Ah, the subject's not painful to me,' I hastened to add, "'though he was always rather thrust before me "'as an ideal back in my youth. "'And you know how fatal that is. "'And then the gods of success have opened all the gates for him.' "'Yes, and yet, and yet?' I repeated. Stoddard lifted a glass of sherry to the light and studied it for a moment. He did not drink wine, but was not, I found, afraid to look at it. And yet, he said, putting down the glass and speaking slowly, when the gates of good fortune open too readily and smoothly, they may close sometimes rather too quickly and snap a man's coattails. Please don't think I'm going to afflict you with shavings of wisdom from the shop floor. "'but life wasn't intended to be too easy. "'The spirit of man needs arresting and and chastening. "'It doesn't flourish under too much fostering "'or too much of what we call good luck. "'I'm disposed to be afraid of good luck.' "'I never tried it,' I said, laughingly. "'And I'm not looking for it.' "'And he spoke soberly. "'I could not talk of pickering with Bates, "'the masked beggar, in the room, "'so I changed the subject.' "'I suppose you impose penances, "'prescribe discipline for the girls at St. Agatha's, "'an agreeable exercise of the priestly office, I should say.' "'His laugh was pleasant and rang true. "'I was liking him better the more I saw of him. "'Bless you, no. "'I'm not venerable enough. "'The sisters attend to all that, "'and a fine company of women they are. "'But there must be obstinate cases. "'One of the young ladies confided to me, "'I'll tell you this in cloistral confidence.' "'that she was being deported for insubordination. 
Ah, that must be Olivia. Well, her case is different. She is not one girl. She is many kinds of a girl in one. I fear Sister Teresa lost her patience and hardened her heart. I should like to intercede for Miss Armstrong, I declared. The surprise showed in his face, and I added, Pray don't misunderstand me. We met under rather curious circumstances, Miss Armstrong and I. She is usually met under rather unconventional circumstances, I believe, he remarked dryly. My introduction to her came through the kitten she smuggled into the alms box of the chapel. It took me two days to find it. He smiled ruefully at the recollection. She's a young woman of spirit, I declared defensively. She simply must find an outlet for the joy of youth. Paddling a canoe, chasing rabbits through the snow, placing kittens in Durant's vial. But she's demure enough when she pleases, and a satisfaction to the eye. My heart warmed at the memory of Olivia. Verily the chaplain was right. She was many girls in one. Stoddard dropped a lump of sugar into his coffee. Miss Devereux begged hard for her, but Sister Teresa couldn't afford to keep her. Her influence on the other girls was bad. That's to Miss Devereux's credit, I replied. You needn't wait, Bates. Olivia was too popular. All the other girls indulged her. "'and I'll concede that she's pretty. "'That gypsy face of hers bodes ill to the hearts of men, "'if she ever grows up.' "'I shouldn't exactly call it a gypsy face, "'and how much more should you expect her to grow? "'At twenty a woman's grown, isn't she?' "'He looked at me quizzically. Fifteen, you mean? "'Olivia Armstrong? "'That little witch? "'That kid has kept the school in turmoil all the fall.' "'There was a decided emphasis in his interrogations.' "'I'm glad your glasses are full, or I should say—' "'There was, I think, a little heat for the moment on both sides. "'The wires are evidently crossed here,' he said, calmly. "'My Olivia Armstrong is a droll child from Cincinnati, "'whose escapades caused her to be sent home for discipline today. "'She's a little mite who just about comes to the lapel of your coat. "'Her eyes are black as midnight.' "'Then she didn't talk to Pickering and his friends at the station this morning? "'The prettiest girl in the world? "'Gray hat? Gray coat? Blue eyes? "'You can have your Olivia, but who will you tell me is mine?' "'I pounded with my clenched hand on the table until the candles rattled and sputtered. "'Stoddard stared at me for a moment as though he'd thought I'd lost my wits. "'Then he lay back in his chair and roared. "'I rose.' "'bending across the table toward him in my eagerness. "'A suspicion had leaped into my mind, "'and my heart was pounding as it roused a thousand questions. "'The blue-eyed young woman in gray? "'Bless your heart, man! "'Olivia is a child. "'I talked to her myself on the platform. "'You were talking to Miss Devereux. "'She isn't Olivia. "'She's Marion. "'Then who is Marion Devereux? "'Where does she live? "'And what is she doing here?' "'Well,' he laughed, "'to answer your questions in order, "'she's a young woman. "'Her home is in New York. "'She has no near kinfolk except Sister Teresa, "'so she spends some of her time here. "'And teaches music?' "'Not that I ever heard of. "'She does a lot of things well, "'takes cups and golf tournaments, "'and is the nimblest hand at tennis you ever saw. "'Also, she's a fine musician "'and plays the organ tremendously.' 
"'Well, she told me she was Olivia,' I said. "'I should think she would, when you refused to meet her, "'when you had ignored her and Sister Teresa, "'both of them among your grandfather's best friends, "'and your nearest neighbors here.' "'My grandfather be hanged! "'Of course I couldn't know her. "'We can't live on the same earth. "'I'm in her way, hanging on to this property here just to defeat her, "'when she's the finest girl alive.' He nodded gravely, his eyes bent upon me with sympathy and kindness. The past events at Glenarm swept through my mind in kinetoscopic flashes, but the girl in gray talking to Arthur Pickering and his friends at the Annandale station, the girl in gray who had been an eavesdropper at the chapel, the girl in gray with the eyes of blue, it seemed that a year passed before I broke the silence. Where has she gone? I demanded. He smiled and was cheered by the mirth that showed in his face. "'Why, she's gone to Cincinnati, with Olivia Gladys Armstrong,' he said. "'They're great chums, you know.'" This story is really developing well. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. Next week I have a hunch. We'll find a lot more. A special thank you to all of you for listening to this show and this story. I appreciate it very much, and we appreciate your reviews. If you enjoy 1001 Stories for the Road, and if you're enjoying this story, we would appreciate a great review. Thank you. Also, please share with friends. That's how most people find us, is when you tell others about us. For now, everyone, take care, and we'll join you again next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.